Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unconfirmed, the show that reveals how the marquee names in crypto are reacting to the week's top headlines and gets the inside scoop on what they see on the horizon. I'm your host, Laura Shin, a journalist with over two decades of experience. I started covering crypto five years ago and as a senior editor at Forbes, was the first mainstream media reporter to cover cryptocurrency full time. Unchained and Unconfirmed are now published as videos. If you're not yet subscribed to the Unchained YouTube channel, head to youtube.com slash C slash Unchained podcast and subscribe today. The crypto.com app pays you up to 8.5% interest on your Bitcoin. Get $25 when you download the crypto.com app with code Laura. The link is in the description. Today's guest is Brendan McGill, co-founder of Offsetra and Carbon.fyi. Welcome, Brendan. Hey, thanks for having me. Since I run a crypto show, it's a bit unusual for me to have a guest from the environmental world. So, Brendan, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself, the sites you founded, and how they intersect with crypto? I've actually got kind of a strange background. So my my academic background is in environmental studies uh, for my bachelor's, got a master's in environmental governance a couple of years ago. And that's where I actually met uh, some of the co-founders of Offsetra. But uh, in the last couple of years, I've gotten really heavy into coding, web development, building tools and products. And so that's where all my energy has really been. And um, this whole crypto thing really took off for us in the last, I want to say, three months. Uh, we've all been kind of watching the crypto space and, uh, you know, dabbled in trading. And some of my colleagues have bought some NFTs and we've been excited by it. But then we really saw the connection between energy consumption and what we're interested in, which is climate change, carbon offsetting, things like that. And so we set out to create um, to create some tools and see what we could do. And we, we made Carbon FYI. We launched a prototype a couple of weeks ago. And essentially what it is, is it's a tool that lets you put in an Ethereum address and then see how much carbon emissions are associated with that address. And it's been pretty crazy the last couple of weeks. We're getting a lot more shares than we ever expected, a lot more questions. Um, people are reaching out to us, and it's been really fun. And can I ask how many queries you're getting a day, roughly, or what the growth has been in that? I think yesterday we were pushing like 600 uh, page views. So I know in, in internet scale, that's small, but it's huge for us. And we're actually seeing a lot of people offsetting as well, which is which we feel feel really good about. We could talk more about that later, I guess. Hmm. That's interesting. I mean, to be honest, as I watch the crypto community and um, their feelings around the environmental issue, um, it seems you know a lot of people tend to be kind of like more defensive, or um, you know they they say, "Oh, it's using renewable energy and things like that." So. Um, it doesn't surprise me, frankly, that the numbers are small because I, I think a lot of them maybe would rather not think about it or, or they think it's not a problem. 
Um, but so why don't we talk about the NFT issue? Um, <laughs> I'm sure listeners will know that there's this huge craze around non-fungible tokens or NFTs with everyone from Kings of Leon to Grimes to Taco Bell to the NBA minting NFTs and selling them to fans. But now we're kind of getting a lot of normies who are also interested in NFTs. And by that, I mean non-crypto folks. And along with that came this backlash where on Monday, ArtStation, an online art platform, announced an NFT program, but they had to cancel it within hours due to objections over the environmental impact. So, Brendan, do you want to maybe describe a little bit more what happened with ArtStation and, you know, your sense of whether these people were right to object? You know, what exactly are the, what exactly is the environmental impact of NFTs? Like, just how bad is it? The, the, the whole thing happened so quickly. Um, so I think ArtStation heard about Offsetra through our calculator and they actually reached out to us and they, want, they, they had been working on this prototype. For those who don't know, ArtStation is like, uh, I think they brand themselves as like a portfolio tool or platform for artists to, put, to publish their art and share it with the world. And so they wanted to expand that and offer NFT minting on the Ethereum blockchain. And I assume they've been working on this for a long time, but they reached out to us pretty last minute right before their launch and thought we would make a good partner. Um, they saw some of the partnerships we've done with other artists and platforms and thought um, it's a good way to address the um, concerns people have with, with the carbon footprinting, thanks to you know calculators like ours. So they, they, they made their announcement and we were excited, but Twitter wasn't. And there was kind of a pretty heavy backlash. Um, we could talk about where I think that's really coming from, um, whether or not it's warranted. Um, yeah, well, there's been a lot ahead. of discussion Could, going on. I, I mean, I would like to hear, yeah, where is it coming from? And do you think it is warranted? Like, yeah, I would like to know some numbers around the environmental impacts of NFTs. There have been, a, there's one other calculator that's been being shared even more than ours. Uh, if we're getting like 600 hits a day, they're probably, they must be getting several thousand. And especially in the NFT community, it's cryptoart.wtf made by an artist named uh, Memo Acton, I believe that's how you pronounce it. And his calculators focus specifically on NFTs. And the thing about NFTs is they, they consume quite a bit more gas than your average Ethereum transaction. So the act of minting an NFT is pretty expensive in terms of Ethereum gas. And we derive our carbon footprint from that gas number. So the, the grand total is actually pretty shocking. Um, it's like 10 times more than your average transaction. So I think uh, people are seeing numbers like 700 kilowatt hours. Which um, is equivalent I I, to what? I wish I had the numbers written down. I want to say we're talking half a ton of carbon. Okay, here's here's a good uh, good comparison. We're seeing numbers like air miles traveled on the order of hundreds. We're seeing some contracts. If you put in a contract, you'll see it would it would take the average European like several years worth of carbon emissions to reach those numbers. So people are shocked by that. But there's some kind of misconceptions that I want to clear up. I think people when they see those numbers, they assume that the act of minting that NFT sort of directly burned that energy and directly emitted that carbon. But one thing I've been trying to really help people understand is that isn't the case. And what the, the point of our calculators are to 
assigned responsibility for emissions, but not it doesn't necessarily um, tell us what the solutions are in terms of actually reducing emissions. When you say that that's not actually the case, that what the calculator says is being emitted is what is actually emitted. Why is that? Is it that there are certain assumptions that are made or is it that you don't know what the kind of renewable energy mixes of the electricity that was used or like what, what accounts for that? I think you have to kind of start from the beginning at, at how, where the emissions come from. So they really come from mining. Um, and mining is, you know, people plugging in their computers and solving the proof of work algorithm. And that, that computation, the proof of work computation, it happens regardless of what is in the block, regardless of what transactions are happening in the network. And you think of it, if you were a miner, you know, your decision to plug in your computer or not really doesn't have anything to do with who's minting NFTs. It has to do with the price of Ethereum and the speculative future value of Ethereum. You know, do I think this asset is going to increase in value in the next years or whatever? So people are forming the connection between, you know, their share of emissions, which we've calculated by dividing the total network emissions and then allocating them to the users, you know, the people who benefit from the network. Um, but they're extrapolating that. I think it's an easy mistake to make. And they think, you know, if I don't emit this NFT, then I won't emit these emissions. I think this ties back into the backlash that we saw with ArtStation. People thought that ArtStation offering the service to, to their users was going to, you know, dramatically increase the amount of carbon emissions being put out uh, for each NFT. But that really isn't the case. And I think that uh, we, we at, at least that, at least I would like to distance myself from that sort of narrative that people are pushing, you know, that especially shaming artists who are publishing NFTs on Ethereum or other proof of work blockchains. Um, you know, shaming the developers who are building on these blockchains. I don't think that's the right approach and I don't think that's going to reduce emissions. So in a moment, well, let's, we'll dive a little bit more into what exactly those numbers represent. But first, a quick word from the sponsors who make this show possible. With over 10 million users, Crypto.com is the easiest place to buy and sell over 90 cryptocurrencies. Grow your crypto with Crypto.com Earn, which pays up to 8.5% interest on your Bitcoin and 14% interest on your stablecoins. When it's time to spend your crypto, nothing beats the Crypto.com Visa card, which pays you up to 8% back instantly and gives you 100% rebates for your Netflix, Spotify, and Amazon Prime subscriptions. Download the Crypto.com app now and get $25 by using the code Laura. The link is in the description. Back to my conversation with Brendan McGill. So just so I understand, what you're saying is that the miners will produce new blocks on the blockchain no matter what. Mm -hmm. um, and so the environmental impact will happen no matter what. However, I think, can't the point be made that it, the more that you create NFTs, the more of that block space will be allocated to NFTs and the more that will crowd out other transactions that might have happened. Um, that in, in that sense, it is producing emissions, right? So I, I, I don't know if I fully understand what your what nuance you're making there. Because there's if there's a, a finite amount of block space in every block, then the more one thing crowds out another, like yeah, just kind of the more stuff will be filling every single block. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, 
the big there is a connection. I should clarify that. There's definitely a connection between you, the mentor of an NFT, or or you know the transactor on the Ethereum blockchain, and de- demand for the token, which increases its value, and then the incentive for mining. And the other connection there, aside from the value of Ethereum, is uh, the block reward that miners get. A, a, a portion of that comes straight from gas fees. So, of course, if you have more and more people minting NFTs and the blocks are so crowded that gas fees are shooting up, which, we're see, which we've been seeing all year, then there's, yeah, there's more incentive to mine. And so more miners join the network. But again, the reason I, I, I've, I'm so focused on these nuances um, up front because I don't think that necessarily means we should be attacking artists and developers for using these tools. And I especially don't want people to think that that's going to be productive and that's going to reduce emissions. And the reason for that is NFTs are a really small portion of all transactions. Even though they're expensive transactions, they're a really tiny portion. I, I don't know, several percent at most, like 3% at most for, from the numbers I've seen. The demand is coming from trading and speculators and I assume DeFi, the, the DeFi explosion has something to do with it. So this obsession with, um, and maybe again, this only exists on Twitter or and like a really vocal minority of people, but this backlash was really unfair, I felt like. And I did feel a little bit responsible for that. And um I've been in a lot of discussions with Memo and, you know, talking about the language he uses on his calculator because we want people to understand that, yes, this is your share of emissions as a benefactor. You know, this energy is being burned by miners, but that doesn't mean we should assign miners the burden of emissions, right? Um, everyone should really pay a fair share if they can, um, especially when you're talking about offsetting emissions or, you know, offsetting historical emissions. So. That's sort of the rationale there. And, and there's this distinction I want people to, to understand. Um, you know, this, we can talk about solutions, which is decarbonizing proof of work or moving to proof of stake. But I think attacking artists and attacking developers like ArtStation, projects like ArtStation is not productive. So I'm, I'm glad I have the chance to, to uh, you know, say my piece on that here. Yeah, it's a surprising stance from somebody who created Offsetra and Carbon.fii, but um, I I understand where you're coming from, uh, given what you've just said. So one other thing I was curious about is, and and this is something I have been trying to figure out, I feel like for quite a while, is it possible to calculate how much of the um, energy that miners use comes from clean energy versus something like coal or something that's less environmentally friendly? It's really difficult to do. And so there's big assumptions written into, you know, any study or any calculator out there, including ours. Um, we make sure to highlight those in our methodology documents. So we don't really, you know, we you see a lot of uh, articles on cryptocurrency uh, news outlets that are saying that you know, mo- the majority, they think the majority of energy used for mining is renewable. And we haven't seen any evidence for that. I mean, the best numbers we've seen are 70% is fossil fuels. And one thing we've we've done that no other calculator has done is we've tried to look at every single mining pool and look at their geographic location and then figure out the energy mix of that area. So there's still some generalizations in there. Like I think about 50% of mining pools we can't we can't really pin down. Mm. 
um, or it wouldn't be fair to say they're in a, a given location. So we use global average energy mix for those. And then we try to be conservative as well with our assumptions. So, Wait, meaning toward the side of using like less clean energy, you mean, or toward, more clean? Yeah, towards, towards the assumption that fossil fuels tend to be the cheapest. And so we think it's, if we're not sure, well, it's probably fossil fuels. Okay. Um, I would I would clarify. I um, think people should read our methodology. We go into more a lot more depth in that, and uh, I've only played a small part in that establishing that methodology. So I hope I'm not messing up, making my colleagues mad right now. But, uh, <laughs> okay. Well, uh, clearly, I think that this is going to be an even bigger issue. I would say going forward. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm sure there will be plenty more discussion around methodologies and and basically what the facts are. This is, as I said, something I've been trying to figure out for a while. There's this movement to um, creating kind of like clean NFTs. What are the methods that people are interested in uh, in that community? Are they mostly just interested in switching away from proof-of-work blockchains or are, do they have other ideas around how to create clean NFTs? Yeah, that's been a really fun discussion. We've been really involved in that. It's, there's been a Discord um, server that popped up. Um, I don't, I don't know who were the original creators were. I know an artist named Sutu has been heavily involved, and a bunch of others. And it's blown up to like over a thousand users in just a couple of weeks. And so that's where we're having these discussions. Like, what what can we actually do as artists, as creators, as developers, and I'm seeing kind of two real paths forward. The first is um, it's for artists who don't, who regardless of the actual relationship between them and, and emissions, they don't feel comfortable being associated with that sort of proof of work energy consumption. So they're saying, I don't want to be a part of this, you know, even if it makes no difference whether I come or go. Um, I don't want that tied to my art and it's not my message. And so they're looking for proof of stake platforms. And there's been some awesome work memos put together, a really nice guide, which you can find through his calculator that lists all the kind of options that are out there. Wait, which calculator is this? The cryptoart.wtf uh. calculator. Yeah. So he's got a really nice guide that artists have found really helpful. And we're seeing more and more artists start to mint on those alternative platforms. Uh, they were, there was some hesitation because Ethereum is kind of where it's happening right now. And, um, you know, NFTs are forever. So there's some concern if I'm an artist and I'm publishing on a platform that's unproven or that no one's using, but my art's probably not going to sell for as high of a price. And, you know, what happens when Ethereum 2 comes out and goes proof of stake? Now is my NFT going to be worthless? Well, those are risks that some artists uh, are willing to take, and I really respect that. So they're sort of paving this path forward. And on the other hand, there's a lot of people who aren't willing to take those risks, and they're staying with Ethereum, even despite the association that's going on with energy consumption. So with them, we've been really excited about the opportunity to offset emissions. So we've been doing partnerships with artists who are publishing on Ethereum and they're making up for their impact, but they're also making up like hundreds of times over. So really raising serious money for pro-climate projects. Hmm. And we've we've offset 
one artist, a guy who really started all this, Sven Eberwine, he offset like a thousand tons, embedded it in a NFT and sold it just day before yesterday. Trevor Jones offset 600 tons as part of this ongoing project he's been doing. And just for, for reference, that's, I think it's 35,000 Ethereum transactions offset. So, you know, really covering uh, their impact and more. And wait, and when you say 35,000 Ethereum transactions offset, that was all what was contained within that artwork? Right. Oh, wow. So 600 tons would cover for the, the emissions associated with 35,000 transactions. Wow. And earlier when you were talking about the proof of stake blockchains that some artists are choosing to go to, which ones are they tending to pick? I've been seeing a lot of, I can't even pronounce it, it's a Latin word, um, Hetch ek nunc, I think it's pronounced. I don't even uh, know this one. I'm going to have to leak into I never heard of it either until recently, but uh, they, they've been making some sales on there. Just a quick note to say here that Brendan messaged after we recorded to say that he misspoke that Hick et Nunk is not a blockchain, but actually an NFT platform on the Tezos blockchain. I'm not super into the uh, NFT and art world. So I think I'd have to defer you and your listeners to the to the guide that memo has posted. Okay, I will. Out. I will link to all that in the show notes and I'll look up this blockchain. And uh, I mean, I guess, you know, I know. So obviously NBA Top Shot is on Flow, which is a proof of stake Network, is that something that, you know, these artists, these artists interested in NFTs are interested in? I couldn't say. Uh, I really couldn't, you know. Okay. I was kind of sucked into this NFT world without <laughs> without wanting to be. It's been awesome. But uh, yeah, I don't want to speak on behalf of artists. There, there's some awesome conversations going on and people are really taking it upon themselves to figure out, like, what's the best path. So. All right. Okay. Well, clearly there is more to be mined here. Excuse the pun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much for coming on Unconfirmed. Sure. Thanks for having me. Don't forget, next up is the weekly news recap. Heads up, everyone. Before we get into the news recap, I wanted to mention that when we did the show last month all about crypto taxes for 2020, I asked about taxes on NFTs, but I asked only about NFTs for creators. I neglected to ask about taxes on NFTs for investors. I reached back out to one of our guests, Shihan Chandrasekhar of Cointracker, who graciously wrote up a quick explanation of how NFTs get taxed for NFT investors. To briefly recap how NFT creators get taxed, he writes, quote, creators get taxed at the time they sell NFTs. Say Sam created an NFT artwork and sold it for two ETH valued at $2,000. He would report $2,000 as ordinary income. If he's in the business of, of creating NFTs, he can also deduct business-related expenses to reduce the tax bill. And so as for NFT investors, this is what Shihan had to say about how they'll be taxed. Investors are individuals who buy and sell NFTs for speculative purposes. Most people fall into this category. For investors, taxes work very similar to crypto trading. There's a taxable event whenever you sell an NFT into cash or another cryptocurrency. Profits are subject to capital gains tax rules. Say Sally purchased an NFT for two ETH worth $4,000 in January 2021. If she were to sell this NFT for $10,000 in March 2021 with a holding period of less than 12 months, she would have a short-term capital gain of $6,000 and this $6,000 would be subject to her ordinary income tax rate. 
if she were to sell this NFT for $10,000 after holding it for more than 12 months, say in March, 2022, the profit of $6,000 would be subject to more favorable long-term capital gains tax rates. One interesting item to note is that some NFTs could fall under the definition of collectibles under the IRS rules. The maximum long-term capital gains tax rate for collectibles is 28%. The maximum long-term capital gains for crypto slash non-collectible NFTs is 20%. All right, now time for the news recap. First headline, Christie's Auction House sells an NFT for $69 million. On Thursday, a digital artwork representing the first 5,000 days of digital art created by artist Mike Winkleman, aka Beeple, was sold for $60.25 million at Christie's in New York. With the buyer's premium for purchasing an ETH, the total comes out to $69 million. In case you missed it, be sure to check out the unconfirmed episode with Mike last fall when he first made $3.5 million from his digital art. Crypto Twitter was aghast when it first thought that Justin Sun, the founder of Tron, was the buyer. Blockchain consultant Maya Zahavi tweeted, Why did it have to be Justin Sun? It's way too predictable and in the worst way possible. However, the story took a turn later when Coindesk reported that Justin Sun was actually not the winning bidder. When I tweeted about this, Oli Chan tweeted back at me, Craig Wright has entered the chat. (laughs) Another good guess was from a Twitter user named Mike with the handle 4KTV, who suggested Shamath Palahapatiya, the billionaire, was the buyer. I guess we will find out later. The bidding for every day is the first 5,000 days, a mosaic of every image that Winkleman has made since 2013, opened at $100 on February 25th and was pushed to $1 million in under 20 minutes, with only three of the bidders previously known to Christie's. An hour before the sale closed, the online bids were sitting at around $14 million until they jumped from $22 million to $35 million before closing at a startling $60.25 million in a sale that is nearly unprecedented in modern auction history. Every Days is now the third most expensive artwork sold by a living artist in auction, thanks in large part to a group of bidders using magic internet money. Jack Dorsey is auctioning off his Genesis tweet, quote, just setting up my Twitter from March 21st, 2006, via the Ethereum platform Valuables. The latest bid sits at $2.5 million. Dorsey announced that he will convert all proceeds to Bitcoin and promptly donate to Give Directly as part of its Africa response program. CryptoPunk number 7804 sold for 4,200 ETH, which uh, converts to $7.56 million this week blowing the previous high highest amount paid for a CryptoPunk out of the water at a mere 800 ETH. Last week, a Banksy piece was purchased, burned on a live stream, and then digitally resurrected as an NFT. This week, that artwork, titled Morons, sold for 229 ETH, which is $382,000. Taco Bell dropped five talk collectibles on Rarible this week, and those sold out in minutes. And lastly, A16Z Crypto is investing $20 million in NFT marketplace OpenSea. Certainly looks like a good time for anybody in this space to get investment. All right, next headline. Investors continue to pour money into crypto firms. Crypto lender BlockFi announced a Series D funding round 
of $350 million, valuing the firm at $3 billion. With $10 billion in outstanding loans and profitable operations, Zach Prince, BlockFi's chief executive officer, said, quote, We are interested in becoming a public company. The latest round of funding means that BlockFi has raised more than $450 million in venture capital. NYDIG, the Bitcoin subsidiary of Stone Ridge, known for getting insurance company Mass Mutual to allocate capital Bitcoin, announced a $200 million growth round led by Morgan Stanley, Soros Fund Management, Mass Mutual, and New York Life, amongst others. NYDIG will be working with its investors to explore Bitcoin-centric initiatives and expects, quote, an explosion of innovation in Bitcoin products and services, Robert Gutman, NYDIG CIO, said in a press release on Monday. In other news, PayPal confirmed the purchase of Curve, a provider of cloud-based infrastructure, as the payment company's first acquisition in the crypto industry. Curve will join the newly formed crypto-focused business unit that PayPal recently created. Next headline, more ways to get exposure to Bitcoin in the capital markets. JP Morgan is looking to offer clients a way to invest in crypto through structured notes linked to cryptocurrency-focused companies. The JP Morgan cryptocurrency exposure basket will hold 11 stocks, including a 20% stake in MicroStrategy, an 18% weighting for Square, and a 15% allocation for both Riot Blockchain and chipmaker NVIDIA. The basket, curiously, does not include Tesla stock and will also not contain crypto assets directly. In a similar move, the Simplify US Equity plus Bitcoin ETF is looking to provide a workaround to the SEC's reluctance to approve a straightforward Bitcoin ETF. According to the SEC, the new fund would invest up to 15% of its overall holdings into cryptocurrency indirectly via the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. If approved, the ETF would trade under the ticker SPBC and be administered by BNY Mellon. Grayscale, the world's largest digital asset management firm, posted nine new job openings this week, strongly suggesting the trust company is positioning itself to launch an ETF. The vacant listings consistently reference an ETF business, but do not specify which assets the ETF will include. The ETF-related job openings come during a period where both the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust and Ethereum Trust are trading at a discount to the price of the underlying assets. Grayscale has roughly $36 billion in assets under management. On Thursday, crypto investment company CoinShares began trading on the NASDAQ First North Growth Market, an alternative stock exchange for smaller companies in Europe, under the ticker CS. The IPO was oversubscribed by 400%, totaling $80 million in raised funds and bringing aboard 2,280 new shareholders. Norwegian oil and gas company Acre announced a new unit dedicated to investing in Bitcoin and Bitcoin-related projects. The new company, CT, plans to keep its liquid assets in Bitcoin, establish mining operations to better utilize stranded wind, solar, and hydropower, and invest in projects within the Bitcoin ecosystem. CT will partner with Blockstream to accelerate the use of renewable energy used in Bitcoin mining. In a tweet highlighting some choice quotes from the Acre letter, Alex Gladstein, chief strategy officer of the Human Rights Foundation, said he thinks the Acre announcement is a, quote, major step toward more Scandinavian Bitcoin plus adoption. Next headline, Ethereum Improvement Proposal 1559 to be implemented in July. Ethereum Improvement Proposal 1559, which could turn Ether into a deflationary asset, has been accepted in an Ethereum network upgrade and will go live in conjunction with the London hard fork this coming July or August. The proposal will change blockchain transactions on Ethereum so that a portion of the gas fee is burned 
in each transaction, potentially reducing the total supply of ETH. While EIP-1559 may sound exciting for ETH holders and application builders, a majority of Ethereum miners, reportedly over 60% of the network's hash power, oppose EIP-1559 as it effectively reduces miner revenue stream. Miners, however, have few options to stop EIP-1559 outside of a hostile 51% attack, which is a highly unlikely attack vector given the lack of economic incentives now that the proposal is approved. The reduction in miner compensation may lead to a rise in the implementation of miner extractable value software, which takes advantage of a miner's ability to front-run trades in the block it is currently securing. Given miners' opposition, it will be interesting to see how the Ethereum community handles the contentious proposal. Though Derabic crypto researcher Hasu thinks that EIP-1559 will not be the issue that forces miners to fork the network. He tweeted, quote, Miners will 100% fork Ethereum, but not for EIP-1559. They have one bullet and they need to save it for the end of proof-of-work mining. Next headline. New crypto bills could give DAOs and tokens new life. On Tuesday, the Wyoming State Senate approved legislation that would recognize decentralized autonomous organizations as companies. It will become law if passed by the Wyoming House of Representatives. The bill would allow DAOs to set up in Wyoming and further bolster the state's reputation as a blockchain-friendly jurisdiction. Aaron Wright, a professor at Cardozo Law in New York, believes the bill is a huge step forward, tweeting, Setting up a legally recognized DAO could cost hundreds of dollars instead of tens of thousands of dollars, and this should, quote, let millions, if not billions, of DAOs bloom. Preston Byrne, a partner at Anderson Kill Law, strongly disagreed, stating, quote, the Wyoming DAO bill is slack-jawed stupidity, and that, quote, our laws already have concepts that cover algorithmically driven DAOs and their members, unincorporated associations and partnerships. Gabriel Shapiro, a partner at BSV Law, seconded Byrne's opinion, tweeting that the bill, quote, is a material step backward for LLC-based DAOs because it imposes additional regulations on them that have never existed before. Meanwhile, the CFTC and SEC are working with Congress to clarify jurisdiction on different types of cryptocurrencies and tokens. A bipartisan piece of legislation called the Eliminate Barriers to Innovation Act of 2021 introduced Tuesday, seeks to define the parameters for digital asset securities, in which case the SEC would have jurisdiction over securities and digital asset commodities, in which case that the CFTC would have jurisdiction. The bill would create a working group composed of SEC and CFTC representatives that would look at issues such as how the current regulations impact the U.S.'s competitive position, as well as issues around custody, private key management, fraud, and investor protection. Additionally, the Token Taxonomy Act was reintroduced by Representative Warren Davidson on Wednesday, aiming to exempt certain digital assets from federal securities law by amending the Securities Exchange Act of 1934. The Token Taxonomy Act is making its third pass through Congress after being introduced first in 2018 and again in 2019. Representative Davidson, who says he believes the U.S.'s opportunity to be a global leader in blockchain tech is closing, sees the Token Taxonomy Act as a way to mend the patchwork of laws and regulations that currently create confusion and sometimes hostility for various blockchain businesses. Next headline. Hacker token auction gets shut down. On Monday, Matthew Hickey of Hacker House released a piece of highly collectible hacker artwork as an NFT. The token contains data that would allow the purchaser to exploit code that would cause a denial-of-service error in the 28 games that use free game software called 
IOQuake 3. Hickey describes this concept as a proof-of-concept exploit redeemable as an NFT. In an interesting decision for an application housed on a decentralized network, OpenSea promptly took the listing down after it was posted. The hacker token, however, still exists in Hickey's wallet. Speaking of hacks, OpenZeppelin, a cryptocurrency software and security firm, released a software suite called Defender that will give DeFi teams real-time alerts and automated scripts in response to flash loan attacks. Flash loans have been one of the most common tools for hacking DeFi applications, resulting in $150 million in losses since 2020. The key to Defender is a set of automated responses that allows the smart contract to be paused or upgraded quickly. Defender cannot prevent flash loan attacks from occurring, but it can be used to stop the exploit before the hacker can make off with a large number of coins. Time for fun bits. Grants for rollups. The Theorem Foundation is sponsoring a wave of rollup community grants due April 16th to help kickstart development on Layer 2 scaling solutions. Anyone is free to participate. All the application requires is an idea and a passion for building, along with a high-level understanding of optimistic rollups. Some items on the Ethereum Foundation's wishlist include making it easier for devs to deploy dApps on rollups, enabling interactions between rollups, and establishing rollup standards. Again, the deadline is April 16th for any developers interested in submitting a proposal. Second fun bits, crypto on Tim Ferriss. Popular author and podcast host Tim Ferriss has recently published two crypto-related shows. This week, he had on Vitalik Buterin and Val Ravikant to discuss Ethereum, scaling plans, NFTs, and more. One of the more interesting moments of the show was when Vitalik said he thought there was some chance that some members of the Ethereum community, such as miners and perhaps some people who don't want to take the risks of moving over to a proof-of-stake platform, will stay on Ethereum 1 instead of moving over to Ethereum 2. Also, in February, Tim interviewed Catherine Hahn, general partner at A16Z Crypto, about her time prosecuting crimes involving the dark web and some rogue federal agents. Plus, she discusses NFTs in a highly accessible way to a mainstream audience. I very much recommend both shows and think that Tim is doing a great job introducing crypto to his mainstream audience. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in. To learn more about Brendan, Offsetra, and Carbon.fyi, be sure to check out the links in the show notes. Don't forget, we are now on YouTube. Subscribe to the Unchained Podcast YouTube channel today. Unconfirmed is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Anthony Yoon, Mark Murdoch, Daniel Ness, and Dan Edelbeck. Thanks for listening.